Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning and to worship and praise God and continue this sermon series that we have entered into. And we're spending four days in Colossae, that little church in the town of Colossae that Paul had not visited, certainly did not start. Uh, we believe that Epaphras, uh, a colleague of Paul, was the one who started that little church in that little little town um, of Colossae. And this, this, um, this letter that we have, Colossians, um, Paul invites us into the life of this church, and we have kind of find ourselves spending four days through this letter um, that Paul writes to the Colossians. Um, Paul is probably in prison, either in, in Ephesus or in Rome, and uh, he is writing to this church to help clarify some misunderstandings and to, to kind of uh, push against some false teachings that were being laid out there in the church. There's some leaders that were rising up and were offering, well, some teachings that were going against the grain of Christianity and the true faith. They, uh, the, the leaders there were uh, beginning to bring in other religions, other philosophies, other wisdoms, other knowledges and practices of other wisdoms and knowledges, and to kind of lay them on top and alongside of the Christian faith. This was creating a problem, a significant problem, and a very real threat to this young church. This was a very young church. And when Paul writes, and that we read last week where Paul writes in chapter 1, he offers this greeting and introduces himself as an apostle. And he, he, um, by doing so, he launches his reputation as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he also, in this letter, in, the, in, the, in his opening verses of this letter, in this greeting and in this prayer of thanksgiving, he gives thanks for the faithfulness of this young church. He's, he prays for them and says, I give thanks to God for your faithfulness as it is growing, as, as, as the faith is growing all over the kingdom, it is growing among you. But he also does some very interesting things in those opening verses as he begins to hint at some of the problems that are beginning to rise up. You know, there's these wisdoms that were, were being laid alongside Jesus and the faith in Jesus and Jesus alone begins to create a, a, an issue that, if left unchecked, would say Jesus is just another way to a faithful life, to a true life, a whole life. And if left unchecked, it would begin to, to dictate that Jesus is insufficient to a faithful life, a true life. And Paul could not let that go. And so he writes this letter, and he, he applauds them for their faithfulness, and then begins to lay out that there's a danger, that if we don't continue in the faith, if we don't continue to, to, to honor Christ and to lift Christ up as primary, as supreme, then, then we're, left, we're left to our own devices we're left to other wisdoms and other religions and other faiths and other practices and other prayers and the powers of this world. And that's not, that's not the true faith. 
That's not how the church came to be. It's not how the church in Colossae was, was planted and was rising up and was growing, not because of these other practices and other religions and philosophies and wisdoms. No, it was by Christ alone and the faith in Christ that was the power that was growing in their midst. And so then, after he does this, offers this prayer of thanksgiving, he, he launches into this hymn. And verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1 is a beautiful, a primitive hymn, a Christ hymn. But he does some different things with this hymn. This hymn was probably familiar to the church in Colossians. It was probably familiar to the primitive church. It was familiar to Paul. And he incorporates this as a way to introduce himself and to find some common ground with the church in Colossae. So we have this hymn. We share this hymn in common. We have this understanding in common about Christ. But he does some interesting things. I invite us now to hear Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. And again, I say in verses 15 through 20 is this Christ hymn. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory, it is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And may God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. So 
So Paul is expressing his concern and leading the church in Colossae to understand that Christ alone is sufficient. That faith in Christ is sufficient for a whole life, a true faith, a faithful life. To be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of this community of faith that Christ has created and is creating and growing in their midst. I said last week that, that Paul is going to offer this high Christology, this, 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 his understanding, his belief, his, his belief about Christ is rather high. In fact, it's a cosmic Christ. This Christ was present at creation. This Christ is, is present and the work of God through Christ is redeeming the world, all of creation. This Christ is sustaining Paul and his ministry, sustaining the church. This is what we would call a high Christology. Now, it's important to, to recognize that because at this time when Paul was writing, these individual churches all over the empire, they were growing, were kind of figuring things out on their own. It was through faithful leaders like Paul and Epaphras and Timothy and Peter and the others who were beginning to kind of stretch out into the empire and were growing the kingdom. It was through their proclamation of the gospel, through God's work, through Christ's work, through these evangelists, through these preachers, through these leaders, that the church was beginning to grow. And these churches were beginning to had to figure out what it meant to be orthodox, to have a right belief, a right practice, an orthopraxy, and even a, a right feeling, an orthopathy. All this was being figured out on the local level. Some of them were getting it right, and some of them were, were getting it wrong, and, and all of them were threatened by the outside influences. And some of them, like the church in Colossians, were beginning to, to kind of figure out, well, we have Christ, what else do we need? And some of them were, what, did you ever see them? You know, there's a, there's a new series out called Murders Only in the Building. Are you familiar with this series that's out? Well, this is, has Steve Martin in it. Now, Steve Martin, before this series, did this wonderful little movie. And that's not a family-friendly movie. It came out in 1979. It's called The Jerk. Has anyone here heard of The Jerk? Have you seen The Jerk? Well, if you go home after hearing this message and you want to watch The Jerk, don't watch it with your children or your grandchildren if you don't want to explain some things. This is not a family movie. But there's this incredible scene at the end of the movie now, the movie follows this guy named Navin Johnson, played by, by, by Steve, Steve Martin, and he comes up from nothing. He's from, he, he, he comes out of poverty, and he, he wants to make his way in the world. He wants to make his riches. He wants to be rich and famous, and so he makes his way, and he, he gets these kind of random jobs. He, he, he works in a, in a circus or a, a fair, and then he also gets a job at a gas station. And while he's working at a gas station, a customer comes in and he's having problems with his eyeglasses sliding off of his nose. And so he invents this thing, this, this handle, where somebody could grab the handle and pull it up without touching the lenses of their glasses. And it catches on. And he makes millions upon millions of dollars. He is rich and famous. And he's living in California. He's living in a mansion. And he's 
He has the, the girl of his dreams, played by Bernadette Peters. And then the class action suits come in. Because this handle on his glasses creates all kinds of problems for people in their eyesight. And at the end of the movie, we signed Steve Martin. He's back at the bottom. He's standing there in his house robe and a t-shirt. His boxers and his pants are around his ankles. And he's arguing with the girl of his dreams. And he's saying to her, I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I don't need a thing. I will handle this all by myself. I don't need anything except this ashtray. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I just need this ashtray and, and these matches. I don't need anything or anyone except this ashtray and these matches and this lamp. I don't need anything. I don't need anything but this ashtray and these matches and this lamp and this magazine. I, I don't need anything. I don't need you. I don't need anyone. I just need this ashtray and this matches and this magazine and this chair. And we see Steve Martin shuffling out of his mansion, holding all this stuff out into the street. And when we read Colossians, and we, when I envision the, the church in Colossae, I have a vision of churches today, of people today, saying, I don't need anything but this and that and this and that. Trying to hold all this stuff in a bag. Stuff that we may or may not need. And what Paul was telling the church in Colossae, and what Paul was telling us, is we need one thing for a peaceful life, for a, a life of joy, for a faithful life, a true life, a whole life. And that's Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's all we need. Because we were created to be in a relationship with God. And Christ provides that way. Christ alone. That's all we need. And so as he writes to this church in Colossae, he sees this church grabbing all this stuff, ashtrays and matches and magazines. He finds them finding, grabbing, holding philosophies and wisdoms and practices and prayers to other powers, to other faiths, to other beliefs. Because they have been figuring it out on their own. I don't need anything but Christ and maybe this religion and maybe this faith and maybe that prayer and maybe this wisdom and that knowledge. And they're putting it all into a bag along with Jesus. And Paul says, no. You don't need all of that stuff. All of those things. You need one thing. You need one person. You need one faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And he throws out this beautiful Christ hymn, this primitive hymn that puts him on, on the same ground, on common ground with the church in Colossae, and he adds some stuff to it. Because we, he says we have this in common. We have this shared faith, this shared religion, this shared hymn. But let me explain what we are talking about here. The hymn can be divided into 
three stanzas or strophes. Beginning in verse 15, Paul lays out this hymn. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created. That's the hymn. And then he adds these words. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all this stuff that you want to add in and and lay claim to and put alongside Jesus, they all come from Jesus. The truth comes from Christ. Real knowledge, real faith comes from Christ. And then the hymn closes that stanza with all things have been created through him and for him. All these things that we're trying to put there on top of Jesus or alongside Jesus, they're either created for Jesus, by Jesus, and He was present at creation, or they have been broken, misconstrued, and are now being tagged on instead of Jesus. In the second stanza, Paul says, He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. And Paul adds, the church. See, the early church understood that being a a follower of Jesus Christ, being in the faith, this community of faith, meant the church universal for all places and all times. But Paul says, now, this Christ who was present at creation was working in creation, is present in the church universal, and he's present in this local church, in your community, the church in Colossae. He goes on with the hymn, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then he adds these words, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And then the hymn continues, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And Paul adds the words, By making peace through the blood of his cross. So the same Christ that was at creation, who spoke into being all things, visible and invisible, is the head of the church, universal and locally, And he's redeeming all things, visible and invisible. Christ is the creator. Christ is the redeemer. And when we read through verse 29 of this passage, Christ is the sustainer. In this passage, Paul begins to wrap up why and how Christ is sufficient. The supremacy and primacy of Christ and Christ alone is what the church demands, is what the church needs, is what the world needs, is what humanity needs. Nothing else. No one else. Christ alone will fulfill us and make us whole. Christ alone created us and Christ alone redeems us. This is God's work. And this is God revealed in Christ. That's a powerful Christology. It's a powerful understanding. And when we as a church, as individuals, embrace Christ alone, we embrace Christ as a local church. Christ alone is our head, is our leader, is leading us and empowering us, sustaining us and redeeming us. 
because Christ has created us. And then we can see that Christ is present with us, among us, and through us, and working with us in the whole world. It's a powerful thing for us to consider that the creator of all things, all things visible and invisible, is present with us here on a grand scale of a universal church in all time and all places, but also in our ordinary time and in our ordinary day, the every day of life, our life as a church. Christ is present with us, creating and redeeming, sustaining. Let us embrace that. And no matter what we face as a church, Christ is our head. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all we need. You know, the early church struggled not just in the, in the early beginnings, in this first and second generation of believers, but well into the fourth century, the church struggled. In a few moments, we're going to recite together, we're going to say together, we're going to proclaim our faith through the Nicene Creed. We often use the Apostles' Creed, which comes from um, a collection of, of um, what called Roman rites, um, came, comes from baptismal rites coming out of the Roman church. Early, early, early rites. And we've compiled those together to come up with the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed comes out of the year 325 when, when the Emperor Constantine, who was bringing the church into the, into the state, into the empire, and he began to recognize all of the conflicts, the difficulties, the disagreements on what it means to be the church, on what the church believes. All these little churches and bishops had their own ideas, and they needed some sense of unity, some sense of, of, of commonality. And so he called together a council in the year 325, and 318 bishops gathered together in the city of Nicaea. And they met to, to come up with some common unifying instrument. Because they were faced with, with heresies. Arius was the, was the key, Arianism, which denied that Christ, the Son of God, was the same essence and substance as the God, Father. This was a problem. And so they came up with this Nicene Creed. I want to read to you the first version. What we have is a, um, an edited version. But the first version goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father as only begotten, that is, out of the being of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father through whom all things are made, things in heaven and things on earth, who for us humans and for our salvation came down and became flesh. Becoming human, he suffered and he rose on the third day and having gone into the heavens is coming to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit... Those who say there was a time when he was not, and before he was begotten he was not, and that he was made from what was not, 
or that he was of another being or substance or a creature, let the universal church consider them anathema. The early church had to find a way to articulate a unifying principle, a unifying statement that says we believe in a triune God, the Trinity, where the essence and substance of God is the same. Where God was revealed in Jesus Christ and dwelled in Jesus Christ, manifest in Jesus Christ in such a way that reveals the invisible God. That Christ and the Holy Spirit were present at the creation of all things. The church has struggled over the years. But with people like Paul who remind us that Christ is sufficient, that Christ in his supremacy and primacy is all we need for our faithful life together. In the universal church, through all time and all places, and to our church here and now in our ordinary time, the cosmic Christ who was, at, who was present and co-creating all things is present with us as we gather and sustains us in the work of God's church. That's a powerful Christology. That's a powerful understanding of what it means to be the church in all times and in all places, and in our time today, here in this place. That we have a cosmic Christ, a creating, redeeming, sustaining Christ, a God present with us, leading us to the way we should go. For that I am thankful. And for that we gather together in praise and worship the one true God revealed in Christ.